episode 101 of Board Games with Variant Hex is all about our month in review for April 2023. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Aaron and I talk about what we played, what we want to play more, what we didn't like, and what we picked for Game of the Month. Usually we record this actually at the end of the month we're talking about, but we blew right past it's going to be May and right into as long as you love May. And I think I will be loving May more than April when it comes to the games we play. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to Aaron and myself talking about what we played in April. Hey, do you remember the name of the reporter for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? No. Her name is April. Yeah. I think she does a month in review article. About board games? Well, actually, I think the, the joke is probably over now. Okay. Yeah. April, month in review. Yes. You played, we played a very different number of games. I think I played a lot of solo stuff. Who knows what I was up to? You had 34 plays of 34 games. Which is still pretty good for me. No, that's, that is very good. We were trying to make a lot of progress on our list of games to play, which is still a bit too long for how late we are in the year. I had 53 plays on 47 games. Okay. So the games that were played were Food Chain Island, Next Station London, Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, Broom Service, Furnace, Ticket to Ride, Monty Python Flux, Res Arcana, Mystic Market, Seven Summits, Deep Sea Adventure, King of Tokyo Dark Edition, The Nine Domains, Phase 10 Dice, Splendor, Seven Wonders Architects, Floriferous, Railroad Inc., Blazing Red, Deep Blue, Lush Green, and Shining Yellow Editions, 10, 99, Bog Chal, Fantasy Realms, High Risk, Love Letter, Nine Men's Morris, Number 9, Shot and Totten, Seasons of Rice, Super Mega Lucky Box, Herbaceous, Circle the Wagons, Coup, Dice Stack, Draftosaurus, Hanami Koji, Illusion, Kabuto Sumo, Nine Tiles, Scout, Sunny Day Sardines, Unsurmountable, Bottom of the Ninth, Dandelions, Lux Eterna, and The Princess Bride, I Hate to Kill You. I had two plays of Next Station London, but I had six plays of Food Chain Island. That came along with other button shy games this month, and I played it once, and it was so fast, and it was just interesting enough, and I just kept I just kept playing it over and over, because it only took a few minutes every time you played it. It's a solo-only game. You just put out the cards. There's rules about which cards can get stacked on top of which other cards, and before you know it, you're shuffling, you're playing it again. The games that were added to the collection were Bottom of the Ninth, and these are also includes expansions. Agropolis Seasons, Combopolis, the expansion collection wallet that had Combopolis 2 and 3, Food Chain Island, Naturopolis, Naturopolis Nessie, Sprawlopolis, expansion collection wallet, Sprawlopolis Wo- Roadwork, Ultimopolis, Darwin's Journey, Dead Man's Doubloons, Rolling Ranch, Rolling Ranch Expansion, Hey There, Dorf Romantic, the board game, and Furnace Interbellum. It was a lot of expansions, more than usual. There were couple Kickstarters, button shy stuff that came in was from Kickstarter, but they just let you order other things. Darwin's Journey was Kickstarter, and I think that one came with the Rolling Ranch stuff and Dead Man's Doubloons as add-ons in the Pledge Manager. So not a lot of things purchased otherwise independently, just Dwarf Romantic and Furnace and Interbellum. The other things were just finally arriving. Darwin's Journey was the longest outstanding Kickstarter I still had. That one, I'm pretty sure I pledged for it in 2021. Oof. Yeah, it, uh, it took a while. No games were sold. We played half of our games about on Saturday, about half of them at home, but 25% on uh, at Indie Coffee Roasters. I played some stuff on Board Game Arena that kind of opened that up, but 
Otherwise, we had we were trying to do this big push of a bunch of games. So there were a lot of small games that we mentioned yeah. in that list because we're just running the numbers of, okay, let's try to get caught back up to pace with all of the easy, quick things. And then start being back on pace with some of the deeper stuff. But we still have 170-some games to play in 90-some days. So that's the summary. Do you have anything else for the summary? You had a separate episode about Twilight Imperium, and we had a separate episode about all the nine games. Yeah, you might have noticed the high quantity of games with nine in the title. It was a thing. Yeah, that was for our 99th episode. So this is episode 101. I'm still currently editing episode 100, but... It'll be out by the time that this is out. So yeah, we are trying to hit certain numbers for certain things. But yeah, now we're just back into the... Month in review. Numberless, whatever we feel like doing schedule, whenever we feel like doing it of our podcast. So we've done games acquired. We've done games gotten rid of, zero. Yeah, we already... Yeah. Is it time for back to the table? It is. So what game would you like to play more? I'm going to say a game that, like, I do want to play it more, but kind of in a vacuum. Like, I don't think that you like to play it with me, so I don't want to play it more with you, for you would not like it. But I really, really enjoy Shot and Totten and all other battle line games. Oh. Uh, Shot and Totten is, of course, it's a battle line game, like I just said. There's kind of, like, hidden information. You're, it's car, well, you don't know what your opponent's... What, you don't know what cards I mean, haven't a, come out. You it's don't as know hidden. What it's as hidden as any card game. Is. Yeah, it's but a card it's not game. like yeah, 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 yeah. It's not like concealed information. It is. It's just I, I think cards. it's a very fun mental puzzle exercise that I would like to play more. Yeah, I battle it. They're good two-player games, like battle line style games. And now we have battle line. Actually, like the actual game called Battle right, Line, which but we have not played. It's we haven't. We haven't played yet. That was one of the new ones from this year. But Hanami Koji, Shot and Totten are other battle line games when it's a two-player game. I don't know of any that have more players than that. If so, I think they'd have to be teams. And you're somehow battling for control over some divider through the middle of the table. So in Hanami Koji, you're trying to get the geishas Geishas. to court them, be on your side. I don't know. But you're trying to win their favor. In Rift Force, you're trying to... You're just scoring battling. Rift, you're just scoring rift points. You are scoring points, so I guess, but you are battling across the line, but you don't like claim one of the certain no. columns. It's like a but it's like Shot a war and, where the first person to fifteen points wins. Yeah, but in Shot and Totten, you're you are claiming different columns in that line that splits you. And if you get three that are all the same, or three next to three each other. Three consecutively, yeah. Then you win. Otherwise you have to get five. So it got to the point late in the game when we were playing that like everything was riding on a very few particular things for me to be able to even have a chance because I ended up getting four. I think I would have, I would have gotten four had we finished the game, but Aaron got five while I still had two and then two others. But you would have gotten the other. I would have gotten the other two, but yeah, that is, that is true. It is not my, it's not my favorite game. So what are you bringing back to the table? I already, I played next station London twice really because it was a little better than I remembered it. I've played it on BGA some, Uh, But I really enjoyed it as a solo game. I played it solo twice. But I don't think that's ultimately what I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick Mystic Market. And that's kind of in the same Mm. line as you picking Shot and Time. Because I know that you don't really like it. But I have a great time playing it. I I don't expect more of it. I think that market manipulation can be a frustrating sort of thing in games when you think you have enough to buy something and then everything changes and you don't have enough. And the things in your hand have now been devalued. Like it, it can be hard to kind of ride that wave into a win. 
But I like the unpredictability of that because I'm not someone who likes to make plans turn over turn. I kind of like to go with whatever is happening in the moment. So uh, yeah, I like that a lot. And it's such a nice production, a nice small game. The little jars are adorable. With a really nice production, which just makes it feel more... It wouldn't really matter. You could just have tokens on the table to represent those jars. But I don't know. Somehow that just elevates it for me. I think I I liked it better at two players, but I think that's very specifically because at two players, it's more predictable. Oh, yeah. I don't, I guess I haven't thought too much about that, about different play counts for that, for that game. There's just less that changes between when you act. And you can change how much you actually play to. You can either go through the whole deck or you can play to a certain number of points. I think we we played to a certain number of points. We had, I think we played seven games at the coffee house that day. Yeah, it was a rush. So, yeah, we were playing really fast. And I think that's also, when you only pay the 30 points, it is pretty easy to get one big wave of points and then it's kind of over. So I think the 30 points thing probably makes more sense when you play with more people. It's probably a more interesting game than just with two people. I don't know though, maybe not. Yeah. So next for collection, what might not stay? So what game would you consider calling? For me, it's just because I don't really like it that much and maybe there's a newer edition of it i know that might be get more interesting add some more content fantasy realms i don't oh i don't really like fantasy realms okay it's just i like it because it's just a th- it's, it's, it's too, not a great game but it's like a throwaway game you can play it really fast all and the that's time. why i'd be throwing it away for the collection oh but you can teach it in like two seconds but you and scoring it well yeah there's an app i feel like you can only teach it because it's the teach is read the cards yeah. And reading the cards is not super fun, especially your first or second or third or fourth time through the game because you don't really know what other cards to expect. And some of the cards in there make that even more difficult. So the cards have things, there's maybe like seven or so different types of cards. And it'll be like weather or land or army. And then the text on the cards will say things like plus 15 for every warship or army at blanked with weather that's what most of the cards are pretty much like they list things that give you bonuses they list things that clear or negate any points that card gets and then you're trying to see what is the highest score you can manage but the conflict is that you might pick up a card that's really good for one thing but now it's negated something else in your hand and how do you balance that i just don't think that ultimately It's not that fun because it's so random and it's so hard to score. I've always used an app. There was an official app. I couldn't find it the the time we played this time. I usually just download it when we play because it's not something we're playing a lot. So I found an unofficial app that let me scan the cards. So I could just take a picture of the card. Yeah, that was nice. And then it would do the calculation for you. And that's where I feel like, well, this should just be an app overall because of how the scoring works i think that if i've never played it without scoring in the app and i think it would be difficult to get it correct we we usually like self-reported scores and then double checked if it was close we used to play it at work and it, it worked fine yeah yeah anything inside of 15 points we, we would just then double check the scores and they were usually accurate Oh, if people were... Right. So, like, we would double-check all the scores. We only cared about the winner. So, if the top two scores were within 15 of each other, we would double... We would have people count publicly. I mean, I'm not convinced. I I think it's... I think it's fine for other people. But, like, if it were just not here tomorrow, I don't think I'd miss it. 
Yeah. I don't know why Jimmy always has 237. That seems like an impossible number. More than 15. Do you know what the highest score you I, can get you know is? There's probably, there's got to be a... There's got to be a theoretical high score. There's yeah. got, well, not theoretical. There's got to be a high score that is possible with the cards. This is just such a slam dunk of a call. Like, okay. We're just getting rid of Love Letter, right? I like Love Letter. Oh my gosh. I know. I know Adam doesn't like it. You, it seems, don't like it. When we played it last time, I was like, you know what? This is fine. I don't know what the big deal is. I like it better than Coup. I was going to say, why would you play Love Letter when you could play Coup? Because Coup's horrible. That's why. So I guess we're not getting rid of Love Letter. No. And I mean, every time this is asked, the real answer is Coup. But in my mind, like, I've already, it's already not, that's just a game that you have. Yeah. So we're not, we're not. But we did play it. Yeah, wait, you did not like it. You you only no. told the truth, which makes it basically not fun. Well, I don't think lying's fun. I understand, and it's yeah. it's, it's it's well We've been it's been well before. covered. Yeah. We've been over it before. So this is you might feel the energy of this being a super fast month in review, despite how many games that we played, and that is true because it's already May. May, yeah, it's already May as we're recording this. So we're trying to not kind of fall further back on the timeline here and with that we are already getting into our game of the month are you gonna go first no my game of the month is quite contrary to my my call list i would like to write a love letter to my game of the month which is is contrary to your call list oh you're doing a okay go ahead sorry i don't know what's happening while i want to call love letter i would like to write a love letter to my game of the month which is bottom of the ninth Oh, that's not surprising. Bottom if, of the ninth is yeah. a charming... I don't even know where we got it, if it's a Kickstarter or whatever. It is a charming no, themed so, baseball game. I, I thought... Weren't you there? We bought it oh, at we the did game buy store. It. No, we sure it, did buy it. Now, it was originally a Kickstarter. I think it's a Kickstarter from quite a few years ago. I don't think it's recent. And if you listen to our 99 episode, that's the last game that we talk about, it's, it's clear... Yeah, I don't need to go in the because spirit we talked of about it so much in that episode. Through, yeah, right. You probably don't need, but you can still say a little. But bit if about you it. if you haven't listened to that episode, it is a trading card based dice game that very very thoroughly is themed to match the spirit and the nature of the game of baseball in ways that are delightful and fun. I'll say just one of the things that we mentioned on the last podcast, which is there's a character who's a spitballer. And if you roll a wrong dice when you're the spitballer, you get ejected from the game because spitballs are against the rules. That's just one of many very, very fun things. If you're a baseball fan, you should definitely check out Bottom of the Ninth. If you're not a baseball fan, it's fine. It's fine. It's a pretty good, it's a two-player only game. And I would have to play it. I'm not super excited to play it more, but I would have to play it more to really know how I feel about some of the mechanisms in it because there's kind of a lot going on. It's a simple game, but there's one part where you're trying to guess what the other person's going to guess. You have like these two tokens. You're trying to guess which side they're going to put them on. You're rolling dice at your leisure. You're also able to get bonuses on whoever your player card is. And then there's also a chance for you to speed roll dice. Right. Not at all at your leisure. That part I didn't like, but that's fine. It barely happened when we played, and you, I think... You won every time. I, but I also like sushi dice, which that's like your speed... That's the whole game is speed rolling. So even if you're not a baseball fan, it's a good two-player game. It's I'm just not sure over time would I feel like the pitching and batting. I kind of wonder if you if you kept track of who won the 
the pitchers or the batters. That's the, the home the, or away teams. Yeah, the humble home team or the rip-roaring league-leading away team. If you kept track over time, I wonder if one side tends to win more than the other. But there were also additional cards that you could use that were like managers or something that also had more intervening powers in the game. And it seems like there's lots of expansions where you can add even more players. So there's a lot of variability there. I think it's not as endearing to me. So in some ways it's hard for me to parse like how good is it as a standalone game because I'm playing with you who's super passionate about baseball and like deep into the ins and outs. But you did say that the theme made the game better, and that's not something that you're saying a lot. Right. And I think that the theme helped you understand the game. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, if you're already a a baseball fan, then a lot of it's just going to feel very innate and natural. I had to be looking at, there's a little chart to use to know whether what happens to the runner, like were they successful in their at-bat. I think the chart inherently made a lot of sense to you and made no inherent sense to me at all. So I would have liked to see that on a little player aid instead of having that be inside of the The rule book. Yeah, but that's, you know, that's little stuff. Now, I was going to say that Food Chain Island was my game of the month. Well, you're not going to say that now. Well, I, I played it so many times and I do like it. Just this weekend, we played Broom Service. Broom Service was very fun. And I'm trying, I'm thinking like maybe I want Broom Service to be the game of the month. I it's your think- podcast. Just talk about them both. Sure. Well, uh, you know, that was just my internal conflict. I think that Food Chain Island is certainly going to be cheaper. It's just a little wallet game. The food chain is like the animal food chain and all of the, there's animals maybe one, two, or zero to like 12 or 15. And anyway, there's all of the animals are numbered. You put them out in a grid and animals can eat the ones within a range of two or three. So you can, you're moving them on top of one another. Like if one animal eats the other, you move it from an adjacent location on top of it. So the animals are kind of jumping around eating one another. And your goal is to eventually have just one pile of cards like the food mm-hmm. chain has consolidated into one and i think if you get like down to three or so it's considered a win and then less than that it's just doing better you can kind of add additional difficulty and each of the animals like has some or i think almost all of them i think zero is a plant and therefore doesn't eat anything but they have some kind of extra ability that you get to do when you use that animal so right. sometimes you can slide it underneath Um, like you slide the pile underneath instead of the animal jumping over on top of a pile. And since you're trying to get everything to eat everything, if you have a big rift in the middle of the grid you've created, it sort of makes problems in linking everything back up. So you're not only thinking about the plan of how can everything be absorbed by every other thing neatly, but you're also trying to consider the spatial puzzle that's being created where you might have a lot of options, but how can you kind of manipulate things so that everybody doesn't get too far apart and that you're actually able to get down to as few piles as you can? I have a question. Yeah. That's a ridiculous question. Oh, okay. Is the game mechanic reversible in a way that, like, let's say you wanted to play the game and instead of trying to get one food chain, you wanted 
as many animals as possible to be at the top of the food chain would that like would the challenge of the game reversibly be good or would it just be easy because it's trying to challenge you to not do that i don't think i know what you're asking i'm trying to ask like you're trying in the game rules to get a very consolidated streamlined food chain with one thing at the top and but they don't have to be in order you just have to you're trying to stack all the cards into one pile so i'm basically asking is there a way that could you have a challenge mode where you're trying to like create like islands of food chains and have as many stacks as possible or would that just be easy well the 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 start of the game is as many stacks as possible because they're all a stack of one yeah but there are addition the additional challenges have you lay out the grid in different shapes sometimes already having a hole in it so then you're from the start having to manage that spatial puzzle. Um, there's a couple sea animals that kind of let you not break the rules, but they help you get things back on track. Let's say you so don't have to no use them. To They're kind of like wilds. The answer is no, but I did have to pull out the game to look as Aaron a- asked his question. So yeah, uh, like for example, a snake is number seven and then the snake can eat a six, five, or a four. And then when it does, you swap the location of two cards. Oh, okay. So now maybe you had a one up next to some really high number, but you want it down by a low number so that it can be eaten Eaten by by that low number. Which is then in turn eaten by a higher number. And I know there's a power for like, you can eat something that doesn't matter how much lower it is, you can just eat it. So there's powers like that that help you make this all work. It's a Scott Alms game. He makes a lot of solo games. The Unsurmountable is also a game by him. I think there might be another one coming up in the Button Shy series, but I think he also, I think there are bigger games as well that have solo modes. I think he did So You've Been Eaten. That might be a Scott Alms games as well. That is two player, and then it goes down to one versus the machine, and you can also play the machines versus themselves in So You've Been Eaten. So interesting stuff that you don't see in a lot of games. Now that is Food Chain Island. Now I think you should pay some lip service to broom service. I don't know what it is with you and the puns today, but like, not into it. Broom service is a Spiel des Jahres winner. Oh, I can't remember. It might be Kinnerspiel. It's not nearby for me to check. I think it's also Fister, Alexander Fister, and someone else. If it's not, I'll edit it out. And in broom service... The it's pretty simple what you're actually doing. You're just collecting potions and then delivering those potions. But the way that you move around the map is unique. Everybody has two. Everybody has a hand of 10 cards. You pick four cards for every round. You don't know what anyone else has picked. And those are your actions. So whoever's first, they play an action. And if you have that card, you also have to play that action. That alone kind of causes some issues because maybe you thought, well, I'll move to this area next over here and then I'll move to the next one and then I'll, you know, I'll deliver this potion. But if they play like the third card in the series you were going to do, now you've already played that card and you your hand kind of doesn't make sense anymore. You have to change your plan. So as you're collecting your cards for your given turn, you're both trying to do what you want to do and also be a little bit insulated in case someone else kind of ruins your plans. On top of that, when you play a card, you can either play it bravely or cowardly. And if you play it bravely, 
the action is better. The action that you get off that card is better. Maybe you get more potions. Maybe you get to both move and deliver something instead of just move. And if you play it cowardly, it's a lesser action. If you, let's say you're first player and you play it bravely. If no one else has the card, then cool. You played it bravely, you get to do the action, and then you'll play another card from your hand. If someone else has the card, they get to decide whether they want to play it bravely or cowardly. Now, a lot of people by default would just want to play it bravely. However, if there's someone still after you and they play it bravely, whoever last plays it bravely is the person that actually gets to do that action. So if you play it bravely and someone after you decides to play it bravely, you just get zero actions. You don't then get the cowardly action. You don't get then get to play some other card. There's there's no recourse. You just don't get to do that thing. Which is why you sometimes just start with cowardly. So you get at least one action because you think someone else has the card. And then you guarantee, because sometimes you're just like, I just, I really need to move into this area. For me, I think the most, it's most often that I need to move is why I just do it cowardly and figure I'll deliver the potion either as I keep moving through. There's, um, witches let you move and deliver potions druids i think let you deliver potions where you are and then there's gatherers that let you um gather more potions for and your deliveries the weather fairy. and there's a weather fairy there's this other thing happening where there's these clouds with lightning and if you use wands to remove the clouds with lightning you get awarded on this increasing scale of points at the end of the game you also have to move these clouds so that you can fly through to the other areas so a little bit thematic, um, but also kind of wholly separate. And when you think that you can only have four cards in your hand out of the 10 that you have, there's like three or four, there's four witches, two druids, three gatherers, four, two, three gatherers, and the, yeah, and the, and the weather fairy. fairy. The weather fairy. So when you're thinking about your options, trying to get that weather fairy in there so that you can keep moving the direction you want while also being able to get the resources you need. So in a two-player game, if you started with Cowardly and your opponent had the card, you might expect now, them. Before you get into that, in a two-player game, there's sort of this ghost third hand that you use to block actions. But you can still take these actions. You deal three cards from that hand and put them face up on the table. You can still take whatever actions they've selected during the round. But if you do, it's minus three points. It kind of helps because if the negative three points is worth it to you and not your opponent, you can be a little more confident that you can play it bravely, get the full effect. And the three, the minus three points are worth it, but you don't know that for sure, of course. And then for both two player games and any number of player games, there's an event that happens every round. The game's only seven rounds, and then it's just over. Whoever has the most points wins. And the events will be things like these areas are bonus in this round. So if you're in the grasslands, you get extra points. Or it might be these areas are perilous, and if you're in the mountains, it's going to be minus three points. Um, there'll be things like put an unknown number of resources in your hand or a hidden number of resources in your hand. Everyone does it. Everyone reveals at the same time. And whoever has the most resources in their hand, I think, pays them to the supply and then gets points. So, and you don't know of the seven rounds, I think there's also 10 of those cards. So you're not guaranteed that any one of the cards is going to come out, but you kind of have an idea of the things that might happen. And for a given game, the difference in those cards can be a big swing of points. There was one, you usually have four cards for your hand, 
But there was one card that lets you just take one card for your hand for a round and you would get 10 points. So I, when we were playing, I had, I did do one card for 10 points because I was like, well, I'd have to take another two cards to get not quite enough points. So if you can't, and it was late in the game, if you can't set yourself up for more points, it might be that one card and delivering one potion plus the 10 points is the best you were going to be able to do in that round anyway. So I, I like how those event cards completely change the way you might want to approach a round given the resources you currently have and the uh, options that are currently available to you on the map. Yeah, I think overall, very simple mechanic, very complicated gameplay. It's, 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 it makes for a good game. Yeah, and as we feel like we're getting into our bigger games, like we went through a whole lot of light games and we're still trying to get through our whole library before Gen Con, Broom Service comes in a bigger box. It also has extra modules with it that we haven't really played with. Right, They're just right. inherent in the game. It's not like an expansion thing. But once, even though it can feel like it's a little bigger of a game, once you actually get it out and start playing, it's it's oh, really it's not. The not board bad. is the biggest part of it. The rest of it's pretty simple. And I honestly, the board not being changed, not being changeable, probably makes it better because it's probably better balanced for everything that happens. Mm-hmm. That's probably what contributes to it being a good and enjoyable game. And an award-winning game, but... Kennerspiel this year, by the way. I looked it up. Okay. You do feel like other games, and it's hard to say more modern games, because it's not that old, give you that ability to move things around. But a lot of times, I think that's more for novelty and not really for making the game better. All of that said, Food Chain Island was fun, and it's very catchy. And it was like my back to the table during the month. It's the one that I back to the table during the month. But I think that... um, I would actually give my game of the month to Broom Service. It's the Spiel des de Abril. And I, we've talked about it before. I don't remember on which podcast, but I think on that one I mentioned as well. There is a game night for it. So Board Game Geek has a series of YouTube videos that they call Game Night. And you have usually around four people. They get pretty close to the play count of a game most times. Uh, they explain how you play the game. You watch them play the whole game, and then afterwards they talk about the game. And I want to think they maybe had five for broom service. We've only played it at lower play counts. Seeing it played at five and seeing, you know, you have five different people, seeing them go cowardly, 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 and the last person doesn't have it, and everyone's like, oh, no. Like, it was, I would be interested to play, like, seeing them play it at a higher play count makes me like the game even more to know because I still feel like it's engaging it too and interesting you have interesting decisions to make you feel like there's enough space to go do what you want but you also don't feel like everything's just handed to you and it's just a points blitz you sometimes play cowardly and then I play cowardly even though I could have played bravely because I don't want to go first because I don't want to guess if you have a card and it drives you nuts like it's it's intricate at two players I really did not like how often you chose cowardly i didn't but win. but it was in fact cowardly i didn't win that helps i guess so that is our game of the month month in review for april. april we what we have been doing is listing the game that we're excited for the next month however i never go back and check or really make a note of what we say so i have no idea if we actually played what we said we'd play in march or the month before that or this think, whole year when we've been doing it i think however, you had us played in the beginning I think I Maybe. said I was excited for, I don't remember. We, you know what? Maybe, but 
That said. What am I excited for in the next month? I think we should play Cubitos if we haven't. I don't think we've played Cubitos. Yeah, I'm no, excited I think for Cubitos. We have a lot of things now that we're going through the light games. We have a lot of things in kind of the middle, middle weight. Um, I don't even know that Cubitos, Cubitos is there, but it's not a small box game. We no. don't, we're, we're kind of running out of small box games. I would say that I'm excited for... I'll say that this month, going through all those games, they were not my, like, as a as a group, they were not my most, like, excited games. Like, I I feel like that was, they were a little weaker. It was a weaker selection of the collection. Mm. I have been wanting to play both the, the Skyrim thing, which is just huge. I said that June is going to be big board game month, so I don't think that's going to happen in May. The Castle Special Edition, I also oh, have from... Mad King Lockwood. Half from Kickstarter, opened it and unboxed it to just see that everything looked to be in there. But we haven't actually played that one. So I think I'll I think I'll say I'll say castles. I think I'm I'm more excited for the games coming up, even though they take a little more effort to relearn. I'm a little more excited for I think the next month of games in general, because some of the things that are still on the list are like they're exciting ones to jump into. Yeah, I think it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a good time in May. Thank you so much for listening to episode 101. Be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Variant Hex. We have a website and a blog at VariantHex.com, and you can email us at podcast at VariantHex.com. As we mentioned, this was kind of a speed run for us for a fast start into May. We're trying to clear the path for a big games month in June, and we mean literally big, like large editions, heavy ones, hard-to-learn games. That's nothing official, it's just a new thing we're trying. June will be kind of the one-month warning, before heading into the final month before Gen Con. The next episode could be one of a few things. It could be some reviews of solo games that I've played. It could be Adam and I reviewing the four different apps for the That's So Clever series. It could be none of those things, it's hard to say. But if you're listening to these in reverse, you have a hundred, a hundred more episodes coming your way. The next one being our mega review of the Century Golem trilogy. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today.